Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge podcast. This is a Carolina Academic Press production where we discuss everything law school. The Law School Lounge is a place for students and faculty alike to discuss law school and the law. We hope you'll hang out with us for a while. and thank you for joining us here at the Law School Lounge. My name is Crystal Norton and I will be your host. Today I am joined by two very special guests who write the Carolina Academic Press book, Legal Analysis, The Fundamental Skill. The co-authors of this well-developed and well-received book now in its 25th anniversary are David Romance and Kathleen or Kathy Vinson. David Romance is a professor at the University of Memphis, Cecil C. Humphrey School of Law, and Kathy Vinson is a professor at Suffolk University Law School, where she's also the director of legal research, legal writing, and written advocacy for their programs. Both of them developed this at a time when the legal writing space in particular was dominated by a very specific paradigm, and they worked together to not only create what has become a very well-known and well-respected and just generally and widely applied paradigm known as CREAC or CREAC, C-R-E-A-C, But they also did this with the concept or the skill of legal analysis in mind. It's interesting to hear them talk about how they developed the Creek system and all of the skills that flow from being able to master that system through the context of legal analysis and why it's important for students to be able to master this skill in the classroom so that they can be great advocates and lawyers beyond the classroom. In this particular episode, we cover a lot of the basics related to CREAC. We talk about how the concept was developed. We laugh a little. We talk about what CREAC stands for, so the components that make up CREAC or CREAC. And then we also touch the surface of some of the pitfalls students see when they are learning this new skill. And so I hope that you walk away from this conversation feeling enlightened about Creek and learning something you didn't know before. If you don't already have a copy of their book, Legal Analysis, The Fundamental Skill, I highly recommend that you check it out. And you can find that on the Carolina Academic Press website. It's extremely affordable, extremely accessible. And so whether you're a newer law student, whether you're struggling with legal analysis, whether you want to improve your legal analysis, this book can really help you achieve those goals. Well, thanks again for being here with us. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Law School Lounge. I am joined today by two special guests. We have Professor Kathy Vinson and Professor David Romance. They are the co-authors of one of our best-selling books here at Carolina Academic Press called Legal Analysis, The Fundamental Skill. And We are coming out with a fourth edition in the relatively near future, but the more exciting news is, from what I can gather from you both, we are in the 25th 
anniversary of the book. Is that right? Fifth anniversary. Yes. Very excited. I think it's silver anniversary. You should send me something. Oh, good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Notice how she's not going to, she was like, I'm not going to send you something. You could send me something. (laughs) I did notice that crystal. (laughs) Well, thank you both for being here with me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thrilled to be here. Well, This book is most well-known for developing what is commonly called CREAC or CREAC, a form and structure for legal writing. And so can you please tell me just a little bit about how this came about or why you decided to write this book? Sure. Just uh, thinking about sort of that question, uh, I was recollecting all those years ago when Kathy and I sat in our offices at Suffolk Law School and were like thinking about what we wanted to do with the book. And we, the whole point of the book was really to sort of structure, find some way to sort of teach students how to do uh, basic fundamental legal analysis. That's what we really saw as sort of um, the prime reason for writing the book, because we saw that most of the legal writing texts available um, really didn't do what we thought was enough so our students can really understand how the analysis component sort of um, helps inform the writing component. But then as we got into it, we realized that there needs to be sort of some some structural component so we can have context for the analysis. And so really, Creek was sort of um, the afterthought to the real point of the book. So it's sort of interesting that Creek became like the much more important aspect of the book and certainly the one that is most talked about and most cited and most used by students when that was really sort of supposed to be the way to sort of explain the analysis part. And so that's really sort of how we got there. And so the reason why we sort of hit on Creek was we were um, sort of frustrated with sort of what the sort of paradigms were available then. Um, We were trying to find sort of some way that we can talk about the structure of legal writing and analysis in a way that was sensical to our students. And so through just discussion and uh, talking through the various points, we sort of hit on this paradigm called Creek. And here we are 25 years later. And so interestingly, just yesterday morning, I'm walking down the hallway and I haven't taught um, first year legal writing in many, many years. And students were talking about Creek. (laughs) <laughs> What'd you get with that? How is that creek? And I was like, it's just so funny that uh, that really became sort of such a focal point and such a defining aspect of the book. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the conversation tended to center around Iraq, right? Right. And so how did you come to Creek off of Iraq or was it com- developed completely separately? Like, how did that process kind of work? There were lots of various paradigms sort of in the works and sort of Iraq was sort of the the big one. And so it sort of was like that big elephant in the room. And and, uh, you know, we felt like Iraq really wasn't really uh, that conducive to sort of the types of writing we were instructing our students to do, which was legal writing. And Iraq really was better suited to exam writing. And the biggest weakness we saw, well, not really weakness, but the biggest reason why Iraq didn't really translate over was there was no room to really explain what the law was in an Iraq sort of format. And that really sort of drove our discussion of something that is broader than Iraq, that is much more conducive to first year legal writing as opposed to exam writing. Tatha, you too? Yeah, just to jump in, um, I also, we always talk about 
whatever you're writing, always think about who is your audience, what's the purpose and what should the tone be? And your audience um, for legal writing is a you know busy, skeptical, impatient legal reader who wants to see the bottom line up front. So that's what makes Creek or Creat different from Iraq. It's putting your conclusion, either your prediction or your persuasive point right at the beginning so the reader doesn't have to wait for it. And so obviously we're talking about Creek or Creac in the context of legal writing, but how is this structure or concept different from even other forms of writing beyond legal writing? So different from creative writing or journalism? Yes. So it's very technical. So I often say to my students, you could be fluent in Italian and now I'm asking you to speak Spanish, right? It's it's like being in a foreign country and foreign language. So it's very technical and structured. And sometimes that can feel kind of stifling. And then I think it can also, though, be a lifeline or like a life preserver or guardrails or bumpers if you're bowling to, to keep you on task. So it's different than journalism or where you're using maybe uh, a different uh, structure or you're not trying to be flowery, use a lot of adjectives and adverbs. It's much more in legal writing, um, a technical, formulaic um, outline of a, of a type of writing. So starting with your conclusion, then the rule, explaining that rule and applying it and then concluding, which is different than say, you know, maybe history or an English major or a journalist where they might've been told, you know, put the bottom line at the very end, build up to it. You know, a suspense novel is a lot different than legal writing. Uh, don't leave the legal reader in suspense. Put the bottom line right up front. And that's also yeah. sort of one of the uh, significant challenges of teaching first-year legal writing is that many students come into law school having written, obviously, but the the writing they're used to doing is either their own writing in a diary or short story or uh, class writing, which is more compositional. Um, and so. Uh, can be very frustrating uh, for a, a beginning law student because they view it as a restrictive formula and they're not sort of looking at it as a helpful guide to help them sort of understand how to solve a legal problem. And so once they reach that point, once they get that, aha, oh, I see, now I get why the whole thing sort of is put together and how it works. I think it makes their life much easier because um, they have sort of some structure to the legal thought process. It's really important to remember your audience, as you both kind of touched upon this idea that everybody else is speaking this language. And if you don't speak this language, people aren't necessarily going to be able to follow your really wonderful arguments or your really great points you're trying to make. And so I always viewed CREAC as my security blanket. Like you were talking about your bumpers. I was like, if I follow this and I put the right information in, then everyone will be able to get my points and I'll either win whatever I'm trying to argue or I'll get a great grade on my exam. Right. And so I, I, but I do remember I had a lot of particularly like creative writing friends in law school and it was a real struggle for them. them. Yeah, exactly. Because they were like, there's just so many rules and and parameters and I can't use all the words I want to use, but it is definitely like a light switch. Once you get it, you get it for sure. It's also a danger um, that students are so desperate sort of to, to figure it out and they want the answer. Uh, and there's this danger that they're looking at Creek as a simple formula. If they can master the formula, then they've, they've solved the riddle. But that really isn't the case at all. It's just it's a helpful guide um, that's going to assist them in sort of solving the problem. 
And I think the extent that um, students do see it sort of as a formula is sort of it makes it harder for them and probably more frustrating for them to sort of finally get to that aha moment. You see that, Kathy, in classes? Yeah, it's it's like a checklist, right? Like doctors use checklists, pilots use checklists, right? They're highly intelligent, um, but they're dealing with some complex issues. And it's just a way to make sure you don't miss anything. So it's a it's a great um, just way to make sure that you haven't forgotten to explain the relevant precedent or to make the comparison of your facts to the precedent facts. Because once you're working on a case, you might have it in your head, but it's not downloaded on the paper for the reader unless you're using some type of paradigm just as a checklist. It's a starting point, not an end. Yeah, I always have to go through this with my paralegal students, right? I have to say okay, I understand your conclusion and I understand your rule, but you're missing sort of that middle part. Where is it? And then they're like, oh, it's X, Y, Z. And I'm like, right, but you didn't include that. And then we go through and we highlight in different colors and they're like, there's no blue or whatever color we're using for the A or even the E if we're talking about Creek. And so, yeah, I think it's a great checklist up front and on the back editing end. And so I guess now is a great time to talk about, do you start with, Creek as a legal writer? And and why should you start with Creek if you do start in that fashion? I would say, yeah, start it. And sometimes students will even just put C-R-E-A-C like in an outline and start plugging in the outline so that they don't forget or, um, you know, so the order isn't mixed up where all of a sudden they're talking about their client's facts before they've explained the law. So I think it's a good starting point. And then, as you said, you can go back to it and almost do an after the fact outline and you know, use a, a, a robust um, <laughs> checklist to go through and you know highlight where are your facts, where's the precedent facts that you're comparing, for example, in A, and do it in two different colors. And if you don't, if you just see blue and you're just talking about your facts, then you're not applying the law. And it also helps you see order, right? So sometimes my students will put the facts after, you know, or put the facts before the rule. And I'm like, well, I don't know why we're talking about the facts yet. So we need to right. reorganize things. So I can see it helping with that as well. So David, could you tell us a little bit about when you actually use Creek? Like how does this come into play as a law student or beyond? Sure. Well, as, as Kathy mentioned earlier, it's um, it, it's a helpful guide for the technical aspects of legal writing to make sure that you are um, giving the reader everything they'll need to know to understand your analysis, whether it is a persuasive type analysis or whether it's a predictive type analysis. I think the paradigm really fits into sort of any mode of legal writing where the lawyer is being asked to analyze a legal issue. And so uh, the question of when do you use Creek, it's, it's, it's really designed to sort of be applicable for any sort of legal writing where you're either predicting or analyzing. Anytime that there is a, a question of legal analysis, I think Creek in some format can be a very useful paradigm. And of course, the whole nature of it is that it's also flexible. And so uh, we don't look at it as sort of a formula. We look at it more as a paradigm. And so once students understand how to build the component parts, there is a measure of flexibility that can translate really to any form of legal So with writing. that context in mind, could you just real quick run through what Creek stands for? Sure. <laughs> C, I feel like I could be doing like, you know, YMCA. C <laughs> is for the conclusion, right? Whether it's an objective prediction or whether it's a persuasive uh, statement of what you're advocating um, for your client. 
The R is the rule or rules. Um, and then the E is explaining or illustrating or proving that rule. So explaining the relevant um, law. And then A is applying that law to your client's facts. And then C is that final conclusion, kind of wrapping it up. What's interesting is I hear uh, students talk about the verb creaking. Uh -huh. I see something the noun. How many creaks do you have? It's really amazing how it's gotten into the vernacular of law students. I think that's the coolest part of the book, that it really has sort of infected the brains of 1L law students. No, I mean, it's true. I, I think that <laughs> I, I go to schools, right? And part of my job is to talk to professors about our books, including yours. And uh, I'll say, oh, yeah. And they'll be like, oh, I use CREAC and I use this. Do you have any books that talk about that? I'm like, oh, yes, we have <laughs> the book that talks about that, right? Because they don't even realize, I think a lot of people, especially if you've come into the academy, you know, in recent history, you've heard of CREAC, but you don't necessarily know where it came from. And so it's cool to learn about where it came from. And you're right. Maybe y'all be, will be in the dictionary. It's also someday. interesting. Well, maybe. <laughs> So, uh, so, <laughs> you could have your own verb, yeah. your own entry. And so we've seen um, um, lots of other legal writing professors sort of writing about legal analysis and they'll use Creek. And it's so cool to me that it's, it's become such a part of sort of um, just how it's instructed around the country. And uh, I'm not sure they realize that it was me and Kathy in 1998 in a dark office in Suffolk University Law School that said, hmm. <laughs> How can we make this better? Yeah, there's lots of like paradigms now, like I call it alphabet soup, right? Like creek, creak, treak, um, creek, Iraq, like they're similar in the sense of they're all trying to provide a, a paradigm as an organizational structure. But we tried to really make what was implicit back in whatever, in 1999, be explicit in a very simple, short book, um, almost like a primer on legal analysis without a lot of, you know, extra theory. And sometimes, um, you know, people don't use the actual name CREAC or CREEK and students will say, well, well, what should I use? And they'll say, well, you know, tell me what your bottom line is, then explain the law and then show how it's applicable to your client. And that is CREAC. So even if someone's not using that particular, you know, acronym, that's what, as you said before, the legal reader expects the bottom line up front, the support in the law, and then how it is applicable to your client's facts. So we've talked a little bit about what CREAC stands for and sort of its general applicability, but obviously there are things that you might need to be aware of when you're trying to use this as your form or format rather for legal analysis. And one thing that kind of tends to happen, especially for students, and I kind of touched upon this earlier, where they just want to get to the conclusion and they forget to show their work, if you will. So with this type of structure, how do you prevent a conclusory analysis? Yeah, so that's probably one of the hardest things to do is write a really robust, thorough um but also concise A section. So um, students often will be conclusory on exams as well as in legal writing. So uh, one way to do it is to really thoroughly think about the A section. And we use kind of four steps, state the point of your comparison. Then that's step one, step two, state the fact-to-fact -fact analogies. Step three is apply the reasoning of the precedent. And then step four is, you know, deal with any counter analysis and conclude. So by going through all those steps and when you're writing and you're editing is actually put one, two, three, four next to your A section in the margin. 
um, then you'll make sure that you haven't missed anything. Often, a lot of students forget that you know third step of applying the reasoning of the precedent. And if you don't do that, then their readers just kind of left with this laundry list of comparisons and contrasts, and they're thinking, so what? What's, why do I care? What does it matter? Well, the reasoning of the court is really the, critical in understanding why the, it matters, whether their facts are similar or facts are different. And there's a great clip um, from Schitt's Creek. I don't know if there's any Schitt's Creek fan out Definitely. there. Where they're making this recipe and David knows I'm the world's worst cook. So anything to do with, with recipes or food where the um, mother and son are trying to make this family recipe and neither one knows how to cook. Uh, but in the recipe, it says fold, fold in the cheese. I don't know if they're making a souffle or something. So he says, okay, what's the next step? And the mother says to him, oh, well, fold in the cheese. So he says, okay, but but what did what does that mean? And she said, well, you just fold it in. And he says, <laughs> okay, stop saying fold. And they go back and forth about folding the cheese. So I have this t-shirt someone gave me that says fold in the cheese. And that's my great example of conclusory analysis. If you just tell me to fold in the cheese, but don't explain what that means, that's conclusory. That's a great example. I love that. I have an EO David t-shirt with a rose on it. <laughs> yes. So huge Shits Creek fan here. It's also important to note, um, just uh, uh, taking a bound what Kathy just said, the, the, the first parts of the book, the first six chapters of the book are all about how you actually analyze the reasoning process, the thought, the mindset process that then has to be translated into the actual written work product. And so uh, all that leads into Creek, and I think Kathy is exactly right, that all the various steps of building a good analysis that we talk about in Creek are all really just exemplifying how a lawyer would look at legal issues and analyze the legal issues. So I guess could either or both of you talk to about, I mean, we're kind of talking about this in a closed setting. We're very much focusing right now on law school, right? But how would this translate beyond law school? Like, why is this a skill that students need to learn? Why is it so important for law students to learn this? I think because you're still going to deal with, you know, the busy, skeptical, impatient legal readers when they're out there, whether it be a judge or a senior partner or or whatnot, who expects, you know, the bottom line up front and expects you to do the work for the reader. I always say, you know, don't shift the work to the reader. So the reader is going to rely on your memo or your writing, and they shouldn't have to go read the precedent or go read the case file from your client's um, case because you should do all that work for them. And that's the by following the CREEK or CREAC acronym, um, the outlining, that's going to do the work for the reader without you know them having to go and do additional uh, work on their own or steps. So if you look at some precedent, you know, some cases, they don't call it CREEK or CREAC, but they often, you know, they'll start with this is the law, you know, this is the statute or this is the precedent. These are the elements or factors. And then they start applying and interpreting the client's facts based on, you know, the, the the precedent. That's, as David was saying, stare decisis is built on that. So I think whether it's in law school or in practice, uh, you still have to meet the needs of the reader and they want to have all that information that Creek entails. Without any sort of ancillary stuff that they don't need. Yeah. And so the one of the values of Creek is that it's, it's succinct, it's concise, and it's going to give the reader everything they're going to need to fully understand the issue and not throw in stuff that won't be helpful. And so I think it does translate very easily to um, practice writing. Yeah, I think a lot of people when they're in law school don't realize that sometimes what you write is your only chance to advocate to someone. And so you better make your chance worth it. (laughs) And I think that 
something like Creek really helps you make sure you're doing that, right? You're representing your point, your client very well. And also you mentioned sort of the audience and not having to do extra work. I was a law clerk um, through the attorney general's honors program. And that was my biggest pet peeve was when I would get a brief that I just couldn't get the information from either because it was poorly organized and sort of all over the place and I couldn't find what I needed or they just didn't include it. And the reality is like, you know, I did my best to find what they were talking about, but sometimes I might've found something different or I didn't find what they were talking about. And even more than that, not especially judges don't have a lot of time. So they might not have the time to dive deeply into all these things you're talking about. And so including it all into this sort of succinct, direct format is really important. And so how would you say, or just an overview, what would you identify though, we're talking about how stellar Creek is, what would you identify as some of the common pitfalls that people might encounter when they're using this sort of structure? Well, the one that I remember most succinctly um, was students were trying to take on too much. And they would look at sort of Creek as sort of um, how they can structure the entirety of the analysis. And so the result was, if the issue, for example, had multiple subparts to it, and they would try to all do that in sort of one analysis, and it's possible to do, but you have to be an exceptionally well-organized, strong writer in order to do all that within uh, one Creek. And so the uh, the biggest pitfall I saw was students trying to do too much as opposed to separating out each independent issue into its own separate analysis and then tying it together either at the beginning or at the end with some sort of thesis type paragraph. Is that still the case, Kathy? Yeah, I think um, also, you know, depending on the legal issue, it's a starting point. And, and it, as David said, it is flexible and you should, if you completely understand the foundation, you should be able to manipulate it. So, you know, for example, we have uh, in the book, you know, Beyond Creek, um, and one of the questions is, or issues is, you know, multiple creeks that you might need, and also using parentheticals more robustly in practice, and not necessarily having to write the facts, holding a reasoning in the E section for every precedent, um, because maybe you, you you don't need that, depending on maybe it's a policy issue, or, or it's a, a question of, you know, what is the standard of review, or something like that. So, yeah, it's definitely, if you think it's kind of going to fit every single situation just as a template, as a formula, then it can be limiting. I think if you understand the fundamentals behind it, you can manipulate it to any situation to the reader's needs. So how do you become familiar enough with Creek in order to get to that level of confidence with kind of manipulating it the way you need to? Practice. Practice. <laughs> I always say write quickly and edit slowly, right? Um, read the book several times, read the different chapters, the different examples in it, um, and get feedback, right? The more feedback you have, it's an opportunity for growth. And then you can go back and see, you know, maybe what the first time, first draft you might have missed, because maybe again, it was in your head and you thought you explain the court's reasoning and the E, but you left that out because maybe it was implicit reasoning and you had to kind of dig a little bit deeper when looking at that case. And to be thoughtful about the paradigm too. So again, if they sort of treat it as uh, the mathematical formula, they're sort of missing the point. And so uh, if they can sort of be thoughtful about why it makes sense, why that structure makes sense, why it's going to make their life easier and the reader's life easier, I think that's uh, where they can really improve um, their own writing. 
uh, as opposed to just sort of plotting in like it's a math formula, which of course it's not. Yeah, if legal writing doesn't humble you at some point, you're probably not learning it or doing it right. <laughs> That's one, another thing I tell my students. I'm like, this is not, this is constructive, right? Like it's okay to not know it up front. And it's okay to work through examples and practice because that's how you'll learn it. And right. yeah. yeah, the why component is really important. I agree, you know, not just putting it there, but understanding why you're putting it there or why you've included or excluded something, right? Because that is in and of itself helping you understand for the next time why you would include or exclude something. Right. Yeah, and a common pitfall is when students say, you know, clearly, um, you know, the, the defendant had control or clearly he had the intent to or whatever. And I said, you know, show versus tell. Show me that through that long division. I can't even say long division anymore because it's new math. So that's that <laughs> now doesn't work anymore. But, you know, step by step um, is more important than trying to crop it up with a clearly or without a doubt, because if it was that clear, you wouldn't have to write a memo on it, right? It's always going to be nuanced. So understanding how you can fully flesh out step-by-step step, so it's so structured that there's no room for ambiguity, that will make it, again, easier for the reader. Right. I think the danger for students is that they understand the issue implicitly, and so they make assumptions. Right. They say, well, it's, it's all, it's in my head, so therefore the reader is going to be able to see what I see. But uh, one of the benefits of Krieg is it really forces the student to put whatever's in their head sort of in an organized fashion on a piece of paper. And I think that's also so critical. Yeah, I think there's a, a tendency to want to leave things that seem really simple out right. because they're like, well, it's everybody knows that. And if it's a foundational component, you should just include it and everybody knows it, then everybody knows it. It's not that big a deal to also include it. If anything, it just shows sort of your thought process even more clearly. And so, yeah, because my students are like, well, everybody knows that, or the judge knows the case. They know the facts. Why do I need to include that fact? And I, you know, and it's like, well, they might not know that fact. And even if they don't, it just reminds them, right? Because they have a lot of cases. Everybody has a lot of things going on. A reminder is always a good thing. Right. <laughs> Obviously, though. Plus, they're, they're so used to writing like, you know, a tweet or a text or like little sure. sort of short, right to the point, nothing behind it. And so it's hard for them to sort of reconceptualize sort of a thought process that's in written form. Uh, they don't read as much as they did in past. And so it's, it's, it's tricky when they're coming into law school because we're really forcing them to do stuff that they really haven't done before. And I think that just adds to their frustration. So they both see it as very, very difficult to do and sort of um, they view it as very pigeonholed, right? They say, oh, if I can just understand what that means and I'm going to, that's the key to success in law school. I think it's hard. Yeah, sometimes I feel like, oh, isn't this repetitive? Yeah, it's tedious. Right? Um, I can hear that word. So I said, it, it should be like dovetailing and echoing, but you're always peeling another layer. And otherwise, if it's that, if it's repetitive, then you're not moving down the, you know, the ball down the field. Like you're just repeating the same thing. In other words, so, you know, you're stating the rule, but then in the E, it's what I kind of call rule plus. You're echoing the rule, but now you're proving it, you're illustrating it, you're explaining it. Um, so that it should be connected, but it's it shouldn't be repetitive. But if you're, you know, other forms of writing, you're told, you know, change up the words, use a lot of synonyms, don't use the same word twice. And, and with legal writing, consistency is more important. So, you know, pulling that thread of that rule all the way through your CREAC to your E and your A in a consistent way is key to not confusing the reader. And it's just different from 
what other types of writing are. One last question for this sort of basic overview that we're going through. How should students differentiate between their first C and their last C? Good question, Kathy. I think it's, it's, it is similar. <laughs> um, often the last C just has, you know, more of a transition. Therefore, in, you know, uh, it, it kind of pulls together um, the different threads where the first C might be a little bit broader and it's just setting the context. But the first C might be on page one and the last C might be on page six. So it's, you know, it's not going to be a different conclusion. Hopefully it's going to be the same, but it's just tying kind of a bow on it at the end and reminding the reader what the what the bottom line was that you started with on page one. Right. It's also going to be, it's also useful because it sort of packages the entire analysis. And so the reader is going to understand from the outset where you're going and hopefully at the end say, oh, I see where, how you got there. And mm-hmm. so it's just a way of sort of tying it all together. And um, sometimes I would imagine that the the second C in Creek is maybe a little bit more fleshed out because the readers have the opportunity to sort of really understand how you got there, whereas the first C might be uh, a little bit more truncated. Well, thank you for clarifying that, because that is also a question I get from my students quite a lot. So I will be sharing this information with them. But I also like to tell them, too. Um, if you're, because you mentioned the C is being different, if your C is different by the time you get to the end, you definitely have a problem and you need to go back. Um, but right, also, right, right. I like to remind them that depending on what you're writing and how long it is, like you mentioned, page length, somebody might not read one or the other C's. So remember right. that, you know. They might not be reading it twice. So keep that in mind as you're writing them out. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of those interesting tidbits. And that concludes another great discussion here at the Law School Lounge. Thank you so much to Professors Romance and Vincent for joining me. And I'm so excited because they will be back next week in part two, where we cover some more advanced or nuanced issues related to the application and use of Krieg for legal analysis. Make sure you join us then. Make sure you check out their book. You can find it on www.cap-press.com. You'll also find it on Amazon and at other retailers. It was such an honor and pleasure to speak with the creators of Creek or Creac. It was something I had always heard about in law school. It really is the book that kicked all of this off. So if you're looking to tackle legal analysis, looking to sharpen your skills, looking to really feel more comfortable with Creek, I highly recommend you check out their book. Also, if you don't mind, please make sure to follow us on Twitter or X and on Instagram at Law School Lounge. And if you have any recommendations, feel free to send me an email at lawschoolloungepod at caplaw.com. Thanks so much, and we look forward to catching you next week.